Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to look at a few verses today that I think may be some of the most applicable that you can find in the Word of God to the United States of America in 2019. And so we're going to look at this this morning. Uh, and as you turn there, and as we kind of get ourselves into the gear of what does the Spirit have for us this morning, let me ask you, what do you think about when you hear the word upgrade? Upgrade. All right. Maybe you think about a new phone or a better car, something more, something higher, you know, uh, upgrade from flying in, you know, the, the, the regular seats to flying in the first class seats, an upgrade, um, something that is of higher value or higher quality than what you now have. I've experienced this. I'm sure you've experienced. I'm sure you can imagine some things or remember some things. Our first house was a, a, a small twin, um, and, and we had all six of us in that little twin. And Dustin was born and several years before we moved out of that twin. Uh, and when we moved into our new house, it was definitely an upgrade. I think the biggest upgrade was one bathroom to two and a half bathrooms because there, there were a lot of bathroom showdowns going on. Who needs the shower? And who, you know, it was, it was incredibly, uh, you know, conflicted and in our bathroom situation. So going to the new house was definitely an upgrade. In a couple of weeks, our young adults group is going skiing. When I was a, a high schooler and even in college, I'd skied fairly regularly. And I remember the first couple of times that I went skiing, I rented skis. Okay, and so you, because I didn't have any, so we rented skis. And then after a, a few times, maybe a year or two of skiing some, somewhat regularly, my parents bought me a pair of skis. And that was an upgrade. Because they, the skis that I now had had these things called edges. You could actually turn and stop because they would cut into the snow instead of just sliding along whichever direction you were going. It was definitely an upgrade. I had boots that actually fit my feet instead of ones that you just like, you know, I'm sure at the end of the day my feet will still be there, but I'm not sure what they will look like. Um, I also did in high school and middle school a lot of backpacking, hiking in the mountains and camping and things like that. The very first trip that I took uh, backpacking, I, I had borrowed from the Marine who was in charge of this, which was a big mistake because what, what he gave me was a really old, like 1950s or 60s backpack, and it had this metal frame on it that I think was designed to cause maximum pain to your back while carrying it for six days in the wilderness over 60 miles or whatever we walked. And then because I got home and realized that the torture device that I had borrowed was not what I wanted, the next time I went backpacking, we, I had upgraded. And what I had was the, a straight aluminum frame backpack that actually felt like it was made to carry stuff on your back. Uh, and, and that's what I used for the rest of my backpacking adventures. And so throughout our lives, we get to experience a lot of upgrades. But there's one thing about upgrades that's supposed to be the way it is. The point of upgrading is that you're not supposed to long for what you had before. What you have now is supposed to be so much better than what you had then that there's no desire to have both, to alternate back and forth. When I got my new skis, I wasn't like, yeah, well, I think I'm just going to leave them home and rent this time because I want to slide down the hill out of control. 
When I got the new backpack that actually felt like I could walk with it for a little while, I wasn't like, yeah, but I miss feeling like I'm going to die with that other backpack. Miss digging. Upgrade is supposed to be something that is so much better that it's a slam dunk that I would rather have this than that. And I don't long for that. And that's the question that Jesus has for us today in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the question that I have for you. Is living for heavenly things an upgrade? Is living for Jesus Christ an upgrade? What I find in the church is that that question functionally defines whether we are people living as citizens of heaven or not. Too many Christians try to live for heaven and for the world. They alternate back and forth between mindsets and value systems. They come to church on Sunday morning and they lift up their voice about a God who is great and a God who is worthy and then they go out and they forget it. And they adapt to and they live in a world and they live just like there is no Savior. Like that knowing Jesus Christ isn't better than the rest of the world. Maybe I say to you, is living for Jesus an upgrade and what you say in your head is, of course it is. But maybe what you would say in your head isn't exactly what you've been living out. Is a life surrendered to Jesus Christ an upgrade or a loss? Jesus in this passage takes us to one of our most powerful temptations to take money and make it the driver of my decisions and my direction. And I think our culture, our world is permeated by this unbelievably attractive gravitational pull to all human beings to make money the driver of my experience, my happiness, my decisions, my direction in life. What I am after, what am I giving my time to? There's a lot at stake for how we answer that question. There's a lot at stake in our own lives, but there's even more at stake in our calling to this world. I read a quote from a really famous atheist philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche. And he, he said some things. He was the one who said God is dead. He was the one who came up with what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. German philosopher said a lot of things that people rehearse today. One of the things he said is this because he was very anti-Christian, very anti-Christian. One of the things he said is, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. Is living for Jesus an upgrade or a bother? Is it better or a burden? What is living for Jesus to you? I don't think when he talks about looking more redeemed, he's talking about people who do good, people do the right thing. He was talking about people who lived like they're missing out when they live for Jesus. And they try to find secret ways or shadowy ways to engage in the things that look like fun of this world. They, by their testimony of their decisions, act like Jesus is not better. Living for him is not better because somehow I'm missing out. Would anyone think that we're redeemed? Do we live like we're redeemed? Do we believe that the greatest thing that could possibly happen in our life has happened to me? 
And that everything about how I experience this life and everything that I'm living for is different because living for Jesus is better than anything else that I had before. It is the ultimate upgrade. And so, as the Sermon on the Mount has been telling us, we're not talking about rules. Are you following the rules? We're not talking about if you have the right to this or proving that you're right on that. Jesus says, look at your heart. Be honest about what you treasure the most. I remember times in my life, and this has been challenging to me. I remember there have been moments in my life where I, just before the Lord, said, Lord, whatever the cost, wherever you lead, wherever you go, whenever you want, whatever you want, I'm all in for you. You are what matters to me. I know. Have you ever had that moment? Or some of those moments? And then what happens to it? It drifts away. Have you ever asked why? Jesus says, here's one of the big reasons why. One of the big reasons why is because of what we treasure. So read with me in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go all, from 19 all the way to 24, but we're just going to start with verse 19. So here's what he says. First of all, do not do this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not, he says, we should not do this. But I wonder how long it has been since you asked yourself the question, am I storing up treasures on earth? Treasures on earth. What are these things? These are things that have value in the here and now. They are things that belong to this world. And for anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who for anyone who is of this world, they are the ultimate valuable things. Jesus, later on in this passage, will use a more specific name. He will call it mammon, which essentially is money. Does our culture glorify money? Of course it does. If you're doing a good job at work, what is the reward? More money. And money is power. And money is the ability to get what you need and have what you want and have a bigger house and have a bigger car. Money is status. Money is acclaim. Money is freedom. Money is... Hope, money is security. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do we? Sometimes we fall victim as we ask that question to evaluating what I would say by comparison. We evaluate ourselves in light of what everybody else does. And so we say, well, since the world values money so big and they justify almost every behavior and choice by its monetary consequence... I must not be living for money like them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, do you live for money like the world? He says, do you live for money? Do you let it control your outlook on life? When you have less than you think you need, are you happy and secure? Do you know that you have all that matters in Jesus Christ? Or are you grinding and weary and stressed because of money? Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth for yourself. Money has so much power in this world. It is probably the thing that separates us the most. It causes violence. It causes hatred. It generates fear. It generates rivalry. And so we say, well, we're not all about money. We're not like them. And Jesus says, I'm not asking about them. I'm asking about you. What has value to you? 
What is worth pursuing and holding on to in your life? What do you treasure? What are you interested in protecting and keeping? Do you let money be treasure to you? And he says, do not store it up. It is a command that is a present instruction. It is stop doing this immediately. And don't ever do this again. Don't store up, pile up treasure. He is calling us to a reorientation away from this natural mindset about how money defines my ability, my power, my uh, opportunities in life. He's saying that is what someone who doesn't know a redeemer thinks. That's someone who thinks that this world is all there is, that this world has some kind of lasting value. Do not act like you believe that. So naturally, human beings want to pile up things of this world because it brings us luxury and power and ease and peace of mind. And so a a mindset that, that treasures money thinks the bigger the pile, the better I am. So Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But he says it's for yourselves. There's a motivation here. He exposes what the problem is. He's not saying it's wrong or sinful to have money. Because some of you, God is blessed with the ability to make a, a good amount of money. As a matter of fact, I think it's somewhere like if you make over $40,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's population in earning money. Did you know that? Something crazy like that. I know that sounds ridiculous. I'm not in the top 1% of anything. Yeah, but you don't understand what this world is like. You're pretty jaded. But some of you make a good deal of money. And there may not be anything wrong with that. What Jesus is saying is, do not store up treasure for yourself on earth. He's talking about this motivation where selfishness, this gravity pulls us in and it starts to dictate how we look at the money that comes our way. We naturally start to put our hope in what we have. It's why it's our treasure. Quite literally, this may be one of the greatest battlegrounds and downfalls of the American church. Money. Because we can't seem to disentangle ourselves from worshiping at the altar of money. Even when it comes to, are you going to give to your church? We cannot seem to disentangle ourselves from, well, I'll give what I can instead of how much do I get to give? Where your heart is, I will tell you on a weekly basis, there is no more healthy way for you to fight this battle than for you to give to what God is doing at your local church. It is a habit that keeps bringing you back to this is not my hope. This is not what I'm storing up. This is not why I have money. Hopers, we must be willing to do battle against our own lust for more. It starts with changing what we consider an upgrade, what we value. Would your life be upgraded if you got a better job and made double your salary? Is that an upgrade to you? What if it cost you your spiritual health? What if it meant you couldn't come to church anymore? What if it took you away from people that were spiritually impacted? What's your upgrade? Do we even think that way? See, we're supposed to. We're supposed to think about spiritual things. But how often do we just eliminate it altogether? We shouldn't value treasure on earth. And Jesus tells us why. Because moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. What he says is, 
to sum up, it is temporary. It will all be gone. It is all vulnerable. Moths refer to the idea of the vulnerability of your clothing. Now, you and I today in our world, clothing, not that big of a deal. I can go to my closet and if a moth has eaten one of my shirts, I don't have a big moth problem. You probably don't have a big moth problem in your house. But if you did, if a moth ate one, you'd have a bunch more. And if you had a whole infestation, you'd just go out and buy more clothes. It's not that big of a deal. But your clothes don't quite mean the same and they don't, they're not quite the same realm as they were for the people in Jesus' day. Their clothes were their status. Rich people would make very ornate robes. They would actually interweave golden threads into their robes to both protect their money, to keep it with them at all times, and to show everybody how much money they had. It was a status symbol. And Jesus says, so you walk around, and everybody knows how big and bad you are, and that very thing that's your symbol of greatness can get eaten by something as small as a moth. It can disappear. He talks about thieves break in and steal, that, that break in or break through. Literally, the word is to dig through a wall because they didn't have a bank. They didn't put their money in a bank. What they did is they usually hid their money somewhere in their house. They would bury it or they would have a box or something like that. And a thief who wanted to come wouldn't come through the door. They would dig through the wall because it was mostly uh, you know, earthen walls. And they would dig through the wall to break through and get into the house and take the money. So even if, you, if you're... Uh, money, your wealth isn't corroded or destroyed by vermin or, or moths or something like that, you could still lose it because someone could just take it from you. But Jesus' point is, no matter how you lose it, you're going to lose it. No matter how you find out that it's temporary, there will come a day where it isn't yours anymore. Even if you make it to your final day with all your wealth intact, the next day, it's not yours anymore. And so believers, we need to be set free from this. This is an instruction from Jesus that was so poignant at the moment where money was power and status and everything and everybody did what they could. Even those who were religious leaders set up tables in the temple to make money because money was power. And they used the name of God and the commands of God so that they could get more money so that they could be richer and more powerful. Jesus says... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth because it's all gone. It will all be gone. And so if that's the case, and I think we all agree it is, then if it's possible to build treasure in the forever instead of treasure in the for a few moments, it's worthwhile to embrace that truth, isn't it? And that's where Jesus goes next. Verse 20, it says this, but store up for yourselves treasures In heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It is the exact opposite of what he said about treasures on earth. He said you should store up treasures, but where you should store it up is in heaven. And the the command is do this always and continually. Be pursuing this. Be seeing this as the value, as the purpose, as the opportunity of your life. Treasure in heaven. So how's your treasure in heaven doing? What did you do this past week to lay up treasure in heaven? Maybe, if you can't think of anything, it's far off your radar screen and you need to bring it back to front and center. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. See treasure in heaven as something worth having and keeping and and saving. 
See it as the ultimate upgrade to being able to go from pursuing what will disappear to what will last forever. And by the way, it is the epitome of following Jesus, who gave up all kinds of earthly comforts for eternal comforts, didn't he? For eternal good. And so if we're going to follow him, we have to go, what are treasures in heaven? How do we store up treasure in heaven? We understand treasure on earth. I think you can all look at your life and say, you know what? I've been storing up treasure on earth here. It's why I'm so stressed out. It's why I'm so worried. It's why, it's why the, the world has got its fingers all inside my soul. It's because treasures on earth have got me all wrapped up. So I understand about storing up treasures on earth and God set me free. But how do I store up treasure in heaven? It's something that I think the Spirit has to bring specifically to each of us. And I think you need to seek the Lord on this. Because like I said, there's a lot at stake. So, But I can give you some of the things Jesus has told us about storing up treasure in the Sermon on the Mount so far. He's, he tells us, it's about treasure in heaven, it's about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Treasure in heaven is about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Most of us like, give ourselves credit for loving our neighbor even when we don't love them like ourselves. I mean, I got to look out for me. We don't consider what it means to love someone else like I love me. But Jesus has kind of talked about a bunch of different things. Storing up treasure in heaven is about being honest. Even when I have technically not been dishonest, it's about a heart that is willing to be forthcoming. It is about turning from sexual lust and impurity because I believe I have better and more. It is a heart that reconciles, a heart that forgives, a heart that loves your enemies. That's where we ended chapter 5, loves your enemies. It is a heart that prays not to be seen, but to come and humble themselves before God, giving glory to God and acknowledging their dependence on Him. And here, it is a person who doesn't store up money for themselves on earth. It's actually, well, I, I don't store up money for myself on earth, but I would. Like, it's not that. It's not somebody who wants to, they just don't have the opportunity. It's somebody who recognizes the greater value of the kingdom of God. And so money doesn't hold value for them. It doesn't have power over them. It doesn't pull them from spiritual and eternal things. And then Jesus says this. We're going to do the rest. Verse 21 down to 24. It says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Maybe just write that down somewhere. You cannot serve both God and money. He goes on to explain this idea of treasure. And if you're wondering what's treasure, Jesus says, take a look at your heart. Take a look at your desires. Take a look at what's affecting your life, what's steering and driving your life, what has your attention, what has your energy, what has your your devotion. And in the deepest part of you, what do you value? 
Look in the unseen inner you, your heart, the genuine and true you, because what you value will drive what you want. What makes you react in panic or fear? What makes you react in a sense of impending loss? What stuff occupies the priority place in your life? It has your focus, your time, your attention. Too often, we think that Christianity is opting out of the great adventure of life. Like it's a downgrade. I'm here to tell you that millions and billions of your brothers and sisters throughout history have seen it as the greatest adventure with the ultimate finish. So if Christianity is boring to you, you're not doing it right. And probably it has to do with you want to be between two worlds. You don't want to miss out on anything, but you're missing out on everything. Because what has been given to you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is so much better than what is of this earth. And so we say we long for his kingdom to come, but we don't really mean it. So the practical question is, how do I switch from earthly things being my treasure to heavenly things being my treasure? Jesus starts with this answer. He says, really weird, the eye is the light of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, the whole body's full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body's full of darkness. What's that mean? I can summarize it like this. Instead of getting into all the language there, let me just summarize it like this. He's saying, what has your eyes? What attracts your gaze, your longing gaze? We experience what's available in this life through our eyes. And so Jesus says, if your eyes are fixed with longing on the things of this world, you treasure the things of this world. I'm telling you, you have some work to do. You may have to change what you put in front of your eyes. If you're going to do battle here, you may have to change how you manage your bank account. If you're going to do battle about treasure on earth, you may have to change some things because you might be feeding in to the part of your humanity that naturally values the treasure of this earth. And Jesus says, do not store up treasure. And how do I change that? By what I set my eyes on, what I set my longings on, what I feed my eyes as things that are desirable. What do you see as your treasure? Well, can I have both? I mean, I I want to treasure the things of God, but I want to enjoy my life here too. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy your life, but you can't treasure both. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Who do you serve? You can serve God or you can serve your financial interests, but you cannot serve both. That's not me. That's your Lord. You cannot serve both. And when you do, you do not serve both. By default, you serve the things of this world. So you can serve God or you can serve your career. You can't serve both. You can serve God or you can serve your relationship status. You can't serve both. You can serve God or you can serve your worries. You can't serve both. You see? Either he's God and he's worthy. We sang it this morning. He is worthy or he's not. And by the way, worthy... Just knock the the Y off the end. What's that word? Worth. Does he have worth or not? When I say he's worthy, I'm saying he has worth beyond compare. And yet too many believers are like, yeah, God, I'll add you in to all the stuff that matters to me. I'll add you in. 
you'll like tick me up another little notch on, on the value of my life. And he says, Jesus says, you can't do it that way. It has to be that God is the greatest value, that heavenly things are what you are living for. What is your big picture? What kingdom do you believe in? Because you have to choose. Jesus says, you have to choose. I'm going to close the service and we're going to pray and we're going to get out of here. You have to choose. When you walk out those doors, you have to choose. This is not something you can leave here in these nice cushy blue seats. You have to choose. Well, I'm not going to choose. Well, then you've chosen. You cannot live for God and money at the same time. Somewhere along the way, and I will tell you probably more than just every now and then, there will come a showdown in your life, a God-given showdown between what is advantageous financially or doing what God asks. And it will expose again and again, where is your heart? Where's your heart? Like I said, every single Sunday morning, there's a showdown. I got bills, I got... I have opportunity to give to the kingdom of God. What am I going to do? What are we going to do about this? Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you've got the balance beam and you're, you're in the middle. It cost Jesus everything. He owned virtually nothing in this world and he gave everything. And I think sometimes we hyper-spiritualize Jesus' experience on this earth. Jesus literally owned nothing in this world. How often, how many days do you think it occurred to Jesus that he didn't own anything of this world? How many times do you think he felt that he didn't have a house, that he didn't have a bed, that he didn't have a change of clothes? Humanly speaking, that showed up on a daily basis. And yet he wasn't living for this. And that's why he had the greatest eternal impact could ever possibly be had. Jesus gives us some ways of sorting this out, living out this daily choice. He says, take a look at what you serve. No one can serve two masters. And so ask yourself, what would it look like if someone were serving money? And how much do I look like that? What would it look like if someone were serving money with their life? How much do I do that? And on the other side, what would it look like if someone were serving heaven? If someone were serving eternally valuable things, how much does my life look like that? It's a way of sorting out what's there. If money is the primary driver of your peace, your peace of mind, your peace of soul, whatever, then you are serving that as your master. If you choose money matters over relationship matters, then money is your master. Don't deceive yourself. If money is the biggest consideration in your direction, in your decisions, in your actions, even though you're like, well, it's not all about money, but when it comes down to it, money is the one that drives what you do. Money is your master. Even though you call him Lord. You can't serve money and Jesus at the same time. And the other thing he says is, it's your passion. Either you will love the one and hate the other or you will cling to the one and despise the other. There's this passion thing. And passion is a great term because it reminds me in my humanity what this is supposed to be like. See, I love my wife fiercely. 
I love my kids and my grandson with all that I have. There's nothing in me that's like, oh man, I have to love them. Do you know what I mean? It's a privilege. It's what I long to do. It's what I want to do. And Jesus says, when you get down to it, it's not just what you treasure. It's connected to what do you love? Where's your passion? When we get together on Sunday morning, this should be the easiest place to have passion for eternal things. It should be easy. If you don't have passion here, I don't know where you could have passion. And by the way, if you got more passion watching a football game or hanging out with your friends, you might want to take a look at yourself, right? And I'm not saying there's, you know, this is as appropriate for you to do the wave as, you know, football. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, look at yourself. Where is my passion? Because Jesus says, passion is a great indication of treasure. My wife is my treasure. My kids are my treasure. That's why I love them like crazy. And I don't think, well, what else could I have? Because it's an upgrade. You know what I'm saying? This is the greatest thing that's happened in my life. It's my passion. Is he our passion like that? It helps us to understand where we are. And so today, I'm just asking what Jesus is asking us. Will we live like we've been rescued? Like we have experienced redemption and forgiveness and grace and the greatest stuff beyond what we could have possibly imagined. Will we live like the greatest upgrade we can possibly know is to live for heavenly things? Or will we continue to live like earthly things have competitive value? Folks, if God is not bigger than your earthly concerns, then he is not God. If he is not better than this life, if his way is not better than any other way, if his promises aren't more profoundly valuable than anything else that I'm telling you, he's not God. And if you haven't embraced that and you are not embracing it, Jesus is calling to you and saying, Do not store up treasure on this earth. Store up treasure in heaven, for you cannot serve two masters. Where's our treasure? What am I storing up right now? What will I store up this week? And how can I go to war and do battle against the natural pull of the treasures of this earth and live with a heart for eternal treasures? I pray that the Spirit of God will show us and lead us and teach us on this because I think it has so much to do with our calling to share Jesus with the world that He will set us free from the traps that have been laid by the enemy for us to be tangled up in living, storing treasure up on this earth. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in a word of prayer and we will be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for this passage that we looked at today. Father, I ask that your spirit would take your word to our hearts, that he would pierce deeply, that he would search us out, that he would help us to see what we have been blinded to. That, Father, you would address in the hearts of your people the things that are poisoning us, that are dragging us away from hope and contentment and peace and joy because our eyes are set on treasures of this earth. 
lift up our eyes because our help comes from the Lord. He is our strength and our shield and our redeemer, our hope. His promises are my life. His presence is what drives me. So Father, I pray that you would open us up to this truth in our lives in practical ways. Don't let it slip out of our hands. Bring it back to us again and again this week. Help us to change course from storing up treasures on this earth to storing up treasures in heaven, just like Jesus told us to. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.